0: And while you're doing that, uh, I want you to pull out that uh, little flyer. It says coming in June. We've had it in your program over the last couple of weeks. And um, I want you to know that we're doing something special this June and uh, having a series called Jesus, World Religions, and the Truth. And each of these speakers will actually be here. This is not a video thing that we're putting on the Jumbotrons. Each of these men will be here. Dr. Ron Carlson will be here who is an expert in lots of different things, but he's gonna come and talk about universalism, does everybody get to go to heaven kind of a thing. Dr. Ergen Canner will be here from Liberty uh, University, and he's gonna talk on Islam. Dr. Chad Brand will be here, he's from Boyce College, he's gonna talk on Mormonism. And Hank Hanegraaff, a godly man, will actually be in our pulpit the last weekend of June, Lord willing, and he's gonna talk on uh, Jehovah's Witnesses, or really anything he wants to talk on. <laughs> I'm just thankful that a man like that, who literally speaks all over the world, would um, be willing to come to Big Valley Grace and uh, bless us. And so I want you to be uh, putting those dates on your calendar. It's going to be a special month, and I believe that the Lord is going to do some great things with it as God brings some really godly people to our church, and um, really, just, just really excited about it. Well, I, too, want to welcome all of you that are here, especially those that are visiting for the first time. I haven't been feeling very well. I was sick all week. And uh, so I I got some things here that I'm just going to put on the table because I'm prepared at any moment. I got my my Kleenex um, and I got my nose spray. And if something kind of goes haywire, and you see me walk behind the uh, drum cage back there, Um, just turn the sound down. So I can just do whatever I got to do, get whatever I got to get out of me, and then I'll, I'll come back out, okay? And y'all know what I'm talking about. Wow, my, my head has just amazing what the body can produce. And it, it, just, it just, and just keeps producing it. It's just, it, it never ends. Oh. Well, we're in a series here called Knowing God, where we're getting to know what God is, is really like, not what you think he's like. Not what I think he's like, not what your neighbor thinks he's like, or what Hollywood thinks he's like, or whoever, but we're looking at what the Bible says he's like. This book that God left us uh, is just filled with incredible thoughts on God and who he really is. Last week, Pastor John Byron preached an incredible message on the fact that God is merciful. In fact, in my 30-plus years of being a believer, his illustration on the keys to the Jaguar was maybe one of the finest illustrations I'd ever heard. And that, that, was just, that was just really, really, really great. Uh, in fact, I want you to take out that little card that says merciful on it in your program. And if you're visiting with us, we have produced uh, one of those for, for each one of these um, messages. And I've just punched a hole in mine and put them on a ring and I have all these great attributes of God and we've just given you uh, some verses and how they apply to our lives and they're really a teaching tool for you. They're a way for you to remember these great attributes of God. They're a way for you to teach your children these great attributes of God. Maybe your grandchildren, maybe a friend or a neighbor, maybe a parent or a uh, uh, grandparent. Or you can sit down with them and very easily show them what the Bible says about God. And so I know many of you are using those. Today we're going to look at God's faithfulness. God is faithful. The Bible says in Lamentations chapter 3, Great is His faithfulness. Wonder where that song came from? Came right from the Scriptures. The Bible says, Great is His faithfulness. Psalms 89 says your unfailing love will last forever. Your faithfulness is as enduring as the heavens. All of heaven, verse 5 said, will praise your great name, your great wonders, Lord. Myriads of angels will praise you for your faithfulness. This past week, I tried to imagine what that scene might look like. Of myriads of angels gathered together Simply praising the Lord for how faithful He is. Psalms 33 says, For the word of the Lord is right. For the word of the Lord is true. He, that's God, is faithful in all He does. I'm often asked, especially by young people, is there anything that God can't do? I'm asked that question more than you would ever You know, dream. Is there anything, Pastor Rick, that God can't do? And the answer is yes. There's a number of things that God can't do. Let me give you a couple. Number one, God cannot do wrong, He always does what is right. The Bible says in Deuteronomy chapter 32 He is the rock, His deeds are perfect, everything He does is just and fair. He is a faithful God who does no wrong. So one of the things that God can't do is He can't do wrong. I'll give you another one. God cannot lie. You see, He's holy. He always tells the truth. The Bible says in Hebrews chapter 6, so God has given both His promise and His oath. These two things are unchangeable because it's impossible for God to lie. So God can't do wrong, and He can't lie. Number three, I'll give you the third one. God cannot, God cannot break a promise. He can't break a promise because He's faithful. The Bible says in Numbers chapter 23, God is not a man, so He does not lie. He is not human, so He does not change His mind. In other words, if He makes a promise, He's going to fulfill that promise. He doesn't change his mind. Psalms 145 says, The Lord will keep all of his promises. And some smart people went through the Scriptures and found out that there were over 7,000 promises in Scripture. And each one of them, all 7,000 plus of them, have either been fulfilled or they will be fulfilled Because God always keeps his promise, always. He's He's faithful, God keeps his word. God, God doesn't play games with his promises. He's faithful. Now when you grasp these three characteristics of God, that God can't do anything that's wrong, and God can't lie, And God can't break a promise. He's faithful. When you grasp these three things, especially the fact that God is faithful, you'll have no problem trusting Him with your life. No problem. Even when you don't understand all that's going on in your life, even when things are difficult in your life, you'll have no problem trusting God with your life when you truly grasp how faithful He is. So with this said, I, I want to give you six promises. Okay, it's just six. I'm only going to scratch the surface. And because God's faithful, Christian, you can count on these six promises. You can take them to the bank. And the first one goes right along with what Pastor Dan was talking about just a moment ago. Okay, number one, God promises to remember and reward your hard work. And God's faithful. He, he can't lie. He'll, he'll keep his promise, and he promises to remember and reward your hard work. The Bible says in Hebrews chapter 6, For God is not unjust. He will not forget how hard you have worked for him and how you have shown your love to him by caring for other believers, as you still do. Now, I want you to underline those two words, okay, Christian? Not forget, or circle them, or whatever you want to do in your Bible or in your note sheets. God says, I won't forget how hard you've worked for me. I won't forget it. And God can't lie. He always keeps his promise. So if he says, I'm not going to forget, he's not going to forget. Now, people may forget your hard work. People may not even see your hard work. I may not see the work that you do for the Lord. Pastor Dan may not see the work that you do for the Lord. Lisa DeMott may not see the work that you do for the Lord. Some other pastor here may not see the work that you do for the Lord. But God says, I'll see it. Some people may even ignore your hard work. There are some people that will even steal the credit for your hard work. But God says, none of that gets by me. Rick may not see it. Dan may not see it. Some other pastor may not see it. Your supervisor may not see it. Some people may ignore it. Some people may even steal credit for it. But I'm not going to forget it. I see it. This past week, I spent some time thinking about all of you, thinking about the hard work you put into serving the Lord here at Big Valley Grace. You're not, a, you're not a spectator. You actually roll up your sleeves and participate in what God's doing here. You work hard. You work hard in our children's ministries. You know, when you've got a thousand kids running around this place on a weekend, it takes a lot of people, doesn't it? Lot of hard work and love and care and prayer. Hard work. Some of you put into our Juana's program on Wednesday nights. You work hard in our youth ministry, discipling adolescent kids. You work hard in our worship ministry, serving in the choir, or the orchestra, or the, or the band, or you work in the tech crew, making sure we got sound, or the jumbotrons, or the cameras, making sure we get an image over into the venue, which by the way, welcome those of you over in the venue. You work hard in our, our library ministry. Most of you in this room don't even know we have a library. I think it's one of the largest you know, privately owned libraries In the state of California, right out there, they got thousands and thousands of books. My wife is out there almost every weekend renting a book or getting DVDs for the kids. It's a beautiful place. You work hard in our Good Sam ministry, making sure people that are made in the very image of God have food to eat. One of the reasons why God's hand of blessing is on this church is because of our Good Sam ministry, without a doubt. You work hard in our care and visitation ministry. Obviously, in a church this size, you know, the pastor can't come and visit every soul that's in the hospital. We've just got lots of people that are sick and in the hospital. And frankly, the way God has made me, you probably wouldn't want me to come to the hospital and visit you sit there and go, oh man, when's this guy leaving? He's bumming me out. Please leave. But thank God for those of you that have those gifts of mercy, and you'll go, and you'll pray, and read scripture, and listen, and be a blessing. You work hard in our small group ministry. You open up your home so others can come and fellowship in your home, where prayer and and can take place in your home, or you lead a small group, or you're praying for all of those in your small group, and you're preparing for that moment when people come, and they're going to learn about the Lord. You work hard in our Love Modesto ministry, thousands of you. Who would have ever dreamed that that would take off, not just here, but all over the United States? It's unbelievable how God has used this pinhole on a map. Modesto, California, in this one little church, it just impacts so many people. You work hard in our recovery and counseling ministries. Down here on Tuesday night, hundreds and hundreds of people come. And they're, they're meeting the Lord and getting into small groups and going through real Christian 12-step programs, trying to get a grip on their lives. They, they want to live lives that honor Christ. And they know that their lives have got these things that are just messing them up, that are stinky, that don't look like Jesus, and they want to look like Jesus, they want to follow the Lord, and we've got all of these small group leaders that are helping just hundreds of people get clean, sober, whatever it might be. You work hard in our altar ministry. Last night, I don't know, we just had a lot of people come to faith in Christ last night. It's unbelievable. You would not have believed what took place down here last night. And I'm going to tell you why here in a little bit. You work hard in our men's ministries, our our women's ministries, leading small groups of gals and men and praying. You work hard in our garden ministry. If you've never been out to our prayer garden, man, you're really fumbling. That's a beautiful place out there. Some of you go, prayer garden? We didn't know there was one out there. It's right out by the library. And on Saturday nights, I often go out there before church and I'll just sit in the garden. It's a beautiful place. All of the plants that I hand out to all of our new people are all put together by our garden ministry. The list goes on and on and on and on and God says, I see it. I see your hard work. And I'll remember it. Beloved, Nobody else may see what you do. So, so sometimes, like I said, those of us that may oversee it all, we, we may not see it. And I know that on some plane in our humanity, we want a person to see it. And that's important. It's one of the ways we encourage one another. Is when we say, hip, hip, hooray, good for you. Keep going. Keep fighting the good fight kind of a thing. I, I know that's important. But you've got to realize... That God promises that when we don't see it, He does. He sees it. So the natural question becomes, how are you using your your talent for God? Where do you serve? Where are you working hard for, for, for the Lord? Beloved, He didn't give you your talent so you could go out and make a ton of money and retire. That's not why he gave you your gifts and talents and abilities. He gave you your talents so that you would minister to others, that you would serve others. And if you're not sure exactly where you might fit in around here, we have a class the first Saturday of every month that Pastor Alan Boone leads, and it's called your Shape Class, where we help you discover where that place is. Because as much as God sees it when you work hard for him, you know what that means? He sees it when you're inactive. When you don't do anything. He sees that too. And we want to be a church that just doesn't say get involved, but we want to help you discover whatever that might be. And for some of you, it might just be, you know what, Pastor Rick, I'm at a point in my life, an age in my life, hard to get around, hard to move around. Well, guess what? There's a great ministry for you. You can do it right in your own home. And that is pray. You pray for God's working here. You pray for the ministries of this church. You pray for the pastors and the elders. You pray for what takes place down here on weekends. And I know many of you do. The reason why people came to faith in Christ today, maybe even this morning or last night, will be because some of you have spent time all week long working hard, praying for what God's what God's doing here. Now, not only does God remember your hard work, but he also rewards it. Paul said this in 1 Corinthians. He said, who is Apollos? And that was just simply a a name of somebody. Who was Paul? We are only God's servant whom you have believed the good news. Now, each of us did the work that the Lord gave us. See, the Lord gave them something to do just as the Lord has given you something to do. And you either make the choice to do it or not. Paul goes on and says, I planted the seed in your hearts and Apollos watered it. But it was God who made it grow. It's not important who does the planting. It's not important who does the watering. What's important is that God makes the seed grow. The one who plants and the one who waters work together with the same purpose. And both will be rewarded for their own hard work. It doesn't matter whether you're the preacher, it doesn't matter whether you're the usher, it doesn't matter whether you're the greeter. It doesn't matter whether you're the one making coffee. It doesn't matter whether you're the one that stuffed the program. It doesn't matter whether you're the one that makes up beautiful flowers for me to hand to the new visitors. It doesn't matter what your thing is. God gives you that thing, you see. God says, I see it and I'll reward it. I'll reward it. And one of the things that you notice when you look at all these promises from God is that you have a role to play. There's there's a condition. God says, if you'll do such and such, I'll do this. And, And in this promise, God says, if you work hard and serve me, I'll reward you. So your part in this promise is simply to do something. God can't reward you if you don't do anything. So your part in this thing, your role in this promise is that all you gotta do is do something. And if you don't know what to do, let me tell you something. Why don't you start here working with our children's ministries? Here's the worst case scenario. You fill out the card, you put it in the thing, you get a call, and they ask you to come down and work with you know, second graders. And after three months, you go, whoa, whoa! Not for me, and that's okay because God will have seen you work hard for three months trying to do something. I would rather you try to do something than do nothing. And it's usually when you do jump in like that and after three months, you go to Dan or Lisa or Julie Elliott and say, hey, this really isn't for me, that they'll say, okay, maybe you ought to take the shape class. Or maybe you'd be better working with teenagers. Or maybe you would, you see, it's then that you'll find the place. And so let me encourage you if you really aren't sure where you fit and you want to get involved and the Holy Spirit's speaking to you, and I believe He is, then just go, you know what? I'll start here. I'll start right here and I'll work with with, with children because we got lots of kids. And they need you. The Bible says that God not only sees your hard work and remembers your hard work, but he also rewards your hard work. No service, you know, no rewards. Now, because God is faithful, he never breaks his promise, you can take this to the bank. He'll see it. He promises to see it. And he promises to reward it. Number, number two. God promises to reward your generosity. The Bible says in Luke chapter 6, the very words of Jesus, this isn't some TV evangelist, this isn't, you know, uh, some crazy guy. He's the one in whom we follow. He said, give and you will receive. Your gift will return to you in full, pressed down, shaken together to make room for more, running over and pouring into your lap The amount you give will determine the amount you get back. I didn't make that up. Those were the very words of Jesus. This isn't some type of positive thinking or some prosperity doctrine or some fundraising technique. Jesus said this. Jesus said, give and you will receive. And because God is faithful, he can't lie. You can count on it. You can count on it. You can can be confident that when you're generous, that God will reward you, that God will bless you. Now, it may not be necessarily with shekels back. It could be. But the blessings of God can come in all kinds of forms. Proverbs chapter 3 says, Honor the Lord with your wealth and with the best part of everything you produce then he will fill your barns with grain and your vats will overflow with good wine. So what's your part in this promise? Your part is to simply give. God God can't pour out his favor, his blessing on you if you're, you're not doing something. Beloved, you can be confident when you're generous. God sees it and he rewards it. Look, here's the bottom line. If you're not giving to, you know, to God, to, to, to the work of here at Big Valley Grace or whatever church you might go to, you're not, you're not hurting us. You're not hurting God. God doesn't need your money. You're only hurting yourself. I didn't get in a room, you know, and say, hey, I'm going to come up with this. I got a, I got a thought here. He's Sam, what if I do an offering thing? And we'll see if people will actually give up some of their money. I didn't come up with this. It's found all throughout the Scriptures. And so if you're visiting with us and you think, well, all you guys care about is money. No, no, it's not. It's one of the things that God cares deeply about. And in an entire hour and a half gathering that we have, we might talk about it for five minutes, sometimes less. But you're only hurting yourself if you choose not to give. You. And I want to encourage you and to, to, you know, not to miss out on, on, on this incredible promise from God. The Bible says in Proverbs chapter 11 the generous will prosper, those who refresh others will themselves be refreshed. And I can tell you, that's absolutely true. Proverbs 22 says, be generous and share your food with the poor. You will be blessed for it. That's a promise. Someone once said that there are basically two types of people in the world, givers and takers. And one of the things that I've noticed is that the more generous a person is, you know, the givers, the more joy they seem to be filled with. The more happy they are. And I'm not talking about an amount, just those that are generous. There's a joy about their lives, there's a happiness about their lives. But those who, you know, are stingy, you know, the the misers, the, 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 the takers, on the other hand, they just tend to be grumpy, miserable. Now, that's not scientific. That's just one guy's observation. And you show me somebody who's just generous. Man, I'll just show you somebody who's just got a lot of joy in their life. Because they get it. They get it. And they're experiencing the the blessings of God. And it may not be, you know, well, I gave some money, so I'm going to get some money back. I know there's a lot of people on TV that that teach that. I, I know. And that can be a part of God's deal. But there are so many other blessings that God bestows upon us that are far more weighty than God gave me some shekels. Beloved, when you give your life away, your time away, your energy away, your money away, when you're generous and and you're giving to others, God says, I'll reward that attitude. I'll reward that lifestyle. And because God is faithful, he doesn't lie, he always keeps his promises. You can count on it. You can count on it. Number three, God promises to guide your life. The Bible says in Proverbs chapter 3, Trust in the Lord with all your heart. Don't depend on your own understanding. Seek God's will in all that you do, and He will show you which path to take. Beloved, life is full of crisis moments when you think to yourself, man, what am I going to do? Some of you I know are probably there right now. Some crisis has come to your life, and you're wondering, wow, what do I do? It may be a, a big crisis. It may be a, a small crisis, but you'll ask yourself, man, what do I do? And when you have a question like that, there's a number of different places you can look for the answer. You could look for the answer in fortune cookies, some do. You could look for the answer by reading tea leaves, and some do. You could look for the answer in the horoscopes, in the newspaper, and many do. You can look for the answer by pulling out an astrology chart, checking out, you know, where the sun and the moon and the thing and the, oh, look at there. Okay, yeah, today's the day I'm going to ask her to marry me. Some people call up a talk show. Dr. Phil, Dr. Laura, they'll give me the answer I need. But there's only one completely reliable source for guidance, and that's God. He's the only one who can see into the future. He's the only one that can truly help you. And the good news is, is that he promises to help you As long as you do one thing, and that's your part. Your part is to simply trust. That's your part. You simply have to trust in God. Really trust in Him. Believe in Him. Put your faith in Him. God says, look, you put your trust in me. Don't lean on all, you know, your stuff, all your education, <coughs> whatever that might be. You trust me. You walk in faith with me. And I'll guide your life. I'll guide you. I'll make sure that I guide you. And how did, exactly does does God guide us? How does that happen? Well, let me give you two ways. Two ways that God guides those that trust him. Number one, and this is the primary way, God gives guidance through the Bible, doesn't he? This is the the, the tool that God has left us to guide us. The Bible says in Psalm 119, 105, your word, the Bible is a lamp to guide my feet and a a light (coughs) for my path. It's this thing. This book is filled with wisdom on just about any topic that you can think of. It's one of the reasons why I love to do series. I love to package up what God's word has to say about marriage or package up what God's word has to say about whatever because he's giving guidance about all kinds of things in this book. And you then have a choice to make. Am I gonna follow God's guidance or not? God's word says, look, I don't want you to be unequally yoked together. God's giving out his guidance. Ladies, men, he's giving his guidance out. Are you dating somebody who's an unbeliever? And you are? You see, you can blow off God's guidance and say, you know what? I don't care what the Bible says. I'm going to date this guy and I know he's not a believer. And then what ends up happening is that you marry a person who's an unbeliever and God's guidance says, don't do it. But you can still make the choice to do it. Look. When people get their lives into a mess, it's not because God hasn't given some guidance. It's just that people have chosen not to follow the guidance. Because God has incredible things to say just about on any topic you can think of. And God says, listen, if you'll trust me, if you'll follow me, I'll guide your life. I'll guide it. When I was um, a youth pastor, I took some kids, uh, well, I, I took kids to camp all the time, and uh, the seniors always would try to get me. That was always like the big thing. We're going to camp, and the seniors would get together and try to figure out ways to, you know, you know get me, you know, do something. And so uh, I always had to be on my toes. And so what I would do is I had informants, freshmen. They were my my informants. And I'd always have a little wad of cash on me, you know, and every day I'd meet by a tree and talk to the freshmen, hey, uh, today they're going to try to throw you in the lake right after lunch. You know, I'd whip off a $5 bill, hand it to the kid, and then I'd I'd make sure I wasn't around the the deal, you know, so I had my informants. Well, one day I remember uh, this one freshman kid said, hey, listen, they got a snake. And they put it in your sleeping bag. And I I just gave the kid the whole wad. Thank you. I hate snakes, man. They just freaked me out. So I I sneak up to my my cabin, and sure enough, you know, I'm looking at my sleeping bag, and I don't think I would have noticed it if we'd have gone to bed, but it was all zipped up. And it was like, oh no, man. And I, you know, something was in there. Big. That thing was like a 40-footer. It was unbelievable. Two-headed viper. Ah had a head on each end. But I, I'm trying to, I'm looking at this thing going, man, what do I do? So I, 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 I unzipped it, and then I took another kid's sleeping bag, and I dumped it into his sleeping bag. And then, boom, just landed. The thing weighed like 40 pounds. Unbelievable. Biggest snake they ever had. And uh, landed in his thing, and I zipped her up, and put mine up, and zipped it all up. Now it's nighttime. And we're out kind of by the fire. They always have a campfire out there at Hume, and I think I would have picked up on this, but the senior guy said, hey, Rick, let's, let's, let's go up and go to bed. <laughs> that was a tip-off right there. But I, I'm not sure I would have got it. Oh, well, we, we want to go up and talk about the Word. I'm thinking, dude, give me a break. So I said, yeah. So we all go up, and I'm trying to time it out just right. You know, I'm putting on my J's, you know, and everybody else is kind of putting on their J's. And I, I can't get in before this guy gets in, and so I'm stalling around, and sure enough, he you know, gets his J's on, opens up his sleeping bag, and I'm going, oh, this is going to be good. And he slides into that baby, and sure enough, ah! he jumps out of it, and I'm going, yes, yes, yes. Now here's the deal. Some of you are going, what does it have to do with anything? <laughs> I'm bringing it in here, I'm bringing it in, trust me. If I hadn't listened to my informant, I get the snake. The reason why some of you get the snake is because you're not listening. God's trying to tell you. He wants to guide your life. But the reason why you keep getting the snake or putting your foot in the the hole or is because you're choosing not to find the guidance that God wants to give you. Now, the second way that God guides your life is this, is God gives guidance through godly counsel. Godly counsel. Godly counsel. Not, you know, your girlfriends will all get together and chat about whatever, whatever dudes you have that meet down at the local pub. I'm talking about godly people. People who know the Word of God. People who know the principles found in the Word of God. The Bible says in Proverbs chapter 11, there is, uh, where there is no counsel, the people fall, but in the multitude of counselors, there's safety. And that, the idea there in Proverbs 11 of the multitude of counselors is this, and I may have shared this with you before, but there were these five blind guys and they uh, were, were, were taken to a particular animal and they were trying to figure out what the animal was. And the first blind guy went over and grabbed a part of the animal and said, oh, hey guys, this animal's like, a, like an oak tree. And the second blind guy walked over and he grabbed a piece of the animal and said, oak tree, what are you talking about? This thing's like a little tiny worm. And the second or the third blind guy walked over and grabbed a piece of this animal and said, oak tree, worm, this thing's like a big palm branch. And the fourth blind guy walked over and he grabbed a part of the animal and said, Oak tree? Worm? Palm branch? This thing's a huge snake. And the last blind guy actually sat on the animal and said, Man, what are you talking about? This isn't an oak tree. This isn't some little worm. This isn't a palm branch. This isn't a snake. This thing's a house. And the deal is they were all right. They had an elephant. One guy had the leg, one guy had the little tail, one guy grabbed the ear, one guy grabbed the trunk, and one guy sat on it. They were all right, but it's not until you put them all together, you have a multitude of counselors, do you figure out what it is. You see, I see things through a particular set of lenses, so do you. It could be how you grew up or whatever. And it's not that my counsel or my wisdom would be wrong or inaccurate, or it's not that Sam's would be wrong or inaccurate or whatever, but we all kind of see things a particular way. And one of the ways that God guides us is when you have godly counselors around you who may give you different viewpoints. And that's where there's safety. Safety. The Bible says in Proverbs 15, plans go wrong for lack of advice, but many advisors bring success. And like I said, the key word here is godly counsel, Christians who know the Bible, Christians who know what the principles are (coughs) in Scripture, (coughs) Christians who can help you (coughs) see what the Bible says about whatever it is you're facing. And there are lots of people, especially in this room, this hour, man, you, you know the word. And let me tell you why this is important. It's important because the Bible says there's a path before each person that seems right. But in the end, it leads to death. That, that, That ought to just wake you up a little bit, man. That ought to make the hair on the back of your neck stand up, Christian. God says, look, here's the deal. We can believe we're doing the right thing. We can believe we're going down the right path. But ultimately, it ends badly. And so we need God's Word, don't we, to guide us. We need good, godly Christians around us to guide us so that we don't go down a path that we think, you know, is the right thing to do when in all actuality, it's just going to end badly. And God promises if we trust Him, that He'll guide us he'll make sure that through his word or through godly counsel that we don't do something stupid or something that will end badly and cause us harm or maybe others harm. Number four, God promises to punish your enemies. In Romans chapter 12, Paul says, My friends, do not try to punish others when they wrong you. But wait for God to punish them with his anger. It is written, I will punish those who do wrong. I will repay them, says the Lord. But here's what you ought to do. And then God's word says, man, if your enemy's hungry, I want you to feed him. If your enemy's thirsty, I want you to give him something to drink. Don't let evil defeat you. But you defeat evil by doing good. You ever read the newspaper or watch, you know, the news on TV or the internet or whatever, and you think to yourself, man, life just isn't fair. I think that a lot. Life isn't fair. I mean, you read about some criminal who's done all sorts of crummy, evil things, and they get off scot-free on some technicality. Drives me up a wall. Life's not fairer. Or we read about some scandal where somebody's been dishonest, and yet they're prospering, and then they skip the country with millions of dollars, and you're working hard, and you're barely making it. Life's not fair. Or someone you know that's a really good person, a, a decent person, a moral person, is dying of cancer, and some gang member, some hell's angel is out selling crack to kids, and he's as healthy as an ox. I don't get it. Life's not, not fair at times. And I want you to know something. Nowhere in this book does it say that life is going to be fair. Life's not going to be fair. In Genesis chapter 3, we learn about sin entering the world. And at that moment, it messed everything up. People became sinners. Because people are sinful, you know what they do? they make choices that harm themselves and they make choices that harm others. People will get in cars drunker than skunks and drive down the road as a drunk and then ram into somebody and killing a family. It ain't fair. That's what sin brought. People have the ability to make choices that often harm themselves or harm others, and sometimes it harms innocent people. Beloved, listen to me. Life's not fair, but God promises that one day He's going to settle the score. You see, heaven is a real place, and so is hell. And one day God's going to settle the score. There's coming a day when people will stand before God and they'll be judged. And some people are going to go to be with God forever in glory. They'll actually be in the very presence of God. And there will be others who will be sent to a place called hell. And let me tell you the worst thing about hell is that Jesus Christ is not there. That's the worst thing about hell. It's not that it's going to be a hot place. I don't know whether it's going to be hot or not. I don't know if there's fire there or not. I don't know if it's pitch black or not. I know the Bible says that there's fire there, but I also know the Bible says it's pitch dark. I don't know how you can have fire and pitch dark at the same time. All I know is, is what makes hell the crummiest place ever is that Jesus isn't there. It's void of God. Someday God's going to settle the score. Now, one of the things I love about this passage here in Romans is that God is very much aware of what's going on down here on planet Earth, isn't He? He knows exactly what's going on in your life. He knows those people in your life that are causing you pain. He knows about those people that are causing you sorrow, causing you trouble, whatever it is. He knows it. And He says that there's coming a day when He will take care of it. He'll deal with it. Beloved, when somebody hurts you or stabs you in the back or maligns you or spreads rumors about you that aren't true or whatever, God sees it and he promises to settle the score. Now, your part in this promise is to simply wait. You gotta wait on God, don't you? And boy, we don't like that. Someone does something to us, wow. We wanna take action now. And God says, no, 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 don't you do that. You wait on me. It's one of those things that God says, you know what, I want you to imitate me, but not in this area. Vengeance, he says, is mine. It's not yours. You let me deal with it. God doesn't want you to go out and get even with those that hurt you or get revenge or whatever. He wants you to wait for him to do it. And because he's faithful, because he keeps his promises, you can bank on the fact that someday he's going to take care of it. You see, when you've been hurt by somebody, you basically got two choices. You can defend yourself, or you can let God defend you. And who do you think would do a better job at it? Who has better resources at getting even, you or God? Who has more things at their disposal, you or God? (laughs) Beloved, the Bible says that a person reaps what they sow. So if somebody hurts you or maligns you or whatever, they will reap what they sow. It's inevitable. But you've got to trust God and wait for Him to settle the score. And our greatest example of this, by the way, is Jesus, isn't it? Peter said this in 1 Peter chapter 2. He said he did not retaliate when he was insulted. He didn't retaliate when, you know, or threaten revenge when he suffered. What did he do? He left his case in the hands of God who always judges fairly. In other words, he waited. He waited on God. Jesus says, I'm not going to defend myself. I'm, I'm going I'm to leave that in the hands of the Father. I'm going to let Him settle the score. Promise number five, God promises Christian to forgive you of your sins. The Bible says if we confess our sins, He is faithful. And just and will forgive us of our sins and purify us from all unrighteousness. The Bible says, God says, if you if you want to have your sins forgiven, all you have to do is confess. You don't have to beg God to forgive your sins. You don't have to work hard to have your sins forgiven. You don't have to bargain with God to have your sins forgiven, you know. If you'll forgive me this one time, God will never do it again. If you forgive me this one time, you know, I'll read my Bible more, I'll give more, I'll go on a missions trip, whatever. <laughs> The Bible says all you have to do if you want your sins to be forgiven is confess. That's your part. Your part is to simply confess. And because God is faithful, you can't lie. You can bank on it that when you ask him to forgive you, he forgives you. And last but not least, and I want to I get here. i want to get to this last one. Number six, God promises to send Jesus back to gather up his followers. He promises to do it. Listen to the very words of Jesus in Matthew chapter 24. Jesus said, no one knows when that day or time will be. No one knows. You know, there's a comedian out there who's got a famous line. It's, well, there's your sign. <laughs> the angels don't know. And not even the sun. I'm just really grieved because I know a lot of people have been hurt. I know some people who sold all that they had I'm just grieved and hurt for people, saddened. When the Son of Man comes, it will be like what happened during the days of Noah. In those days before the flood, people were eating, they were drinking, marrying, and giving their children to be married until the day Noah entered the boat. They knew nothing about what was happening until the flood came and destroyed them. It will be the same when the Son of Man comes. Two men will be in the field, one will be taken and the other will be left. Two women will be grinding grain with the mill. One will be taken and the other one will be left. So always be ready because you do not know the day your Lord will come. You don't know. Now the promise is, he's coming. He's coming. I'm not even one of these preachers that will say, well, you know, we're in the end times. You know, every generation thinks they're in the end times. I just don't want my kids to get older, my grandkids to get older and go, well, dad, you know, grandpa said we're in the end times. I don't know. Like I said, every generation has thought they were in the end times. Here's what I do know. I'm one day closer today than I was yesterday. That I do know. And I think that the older you get, you're more convinced, you know, it's going to happen. I know. But the reality is we don't know. But what we do know is that God promises to come. And our responsibility in this is this be ready. And then he gives us an incredible illustration of what happened in the days of Noah. As best we understood, it, it, it took Noah probably 100, maybe 150 years to build the ark. People thought he was crazy. He's hundreds of miles away from the largest body of water. Best we know, it had never rained on planet Earth up until that point. And God comes to this man and says, I want you to build an ark. And I'm sure Noah said, oh, great, I'll do it, God. Just one question. You know, what's an ark? <laughs> well, it's this big boat, and I'll give you some plans. And, and here's the deal. It's going to rain someday, and I'm going to flood the earth. And I'm sure, I'm sure Noah said, hey, one more question, God. What's rain? Imagine this, well, I'm gonna cause the skies to drop water. And so Noah, I don't know, goes down to the local Home Depot, orders up all the wood, skill saws, hammers, and he starts working on this thing. Took him 150 years, at least 100. Some scholars say at least 150 years to build the thing. And I'm sure that all the people thought he was nuts. I'm sure he was the, you know, the brunt end of a lot of jokes down at the local tavern. Hey, did you see Noah? Yeah, he's building a big boat. (laughs) It's gonna rain someday. Loser. Yeah, I know it, man. I was gonna build a new deck on my house, but there isn't any wood around. He's got it all. I can't get anything done. I don't know how it all went down. You know, we can read the story in about five minutes, but it took 150 years. A lot of stuff was going on. People were getting married. Stuff was going on, and for 100 plus years, Noah preached, "You need to repent. You need to be ready because I'm telling you, the wrath of God is coming." And for 150 years, people made fun of Noah. Nobody repented. There was never a moment in 150 years when Noah said, "I see that hand." Never once, people thought he was a, a, lunatic, a joke. And if that wasn't bad enough, there came a moment when I don't know, right down the middle of the town, he starts coming with all the animals. Uh, Noah, what are you doing? Well, I'm I'm putting you know all these animals on the boat now. Okay, okay, you've now flipped. It's one thing to build that big boat. My home prices have gone down because that big albatross is sitting out. It's like the guy that puts the pink flamingos in their yard and your home prices go down. Imagine this guy's got this ark out in his alley. Unbelievable. Now you're putting animals on this thing. Man, you've gone nutty. And here he comes bringing all these animals onto the boat. And I think there were probably dinosaurs. I think he probably had two brontosauruses on there. Well, those things are, are too big. Well, he could have brought two babies. You know, you don't have to bring two full-grown ones on board. You could bring two little ones. Maybe they would already gone distinct. I don't know. I, I happen to believe there were probably dinosaurs on that boat. Babies. Anyway, look at it. The boat was filled up. And I'm sure people were going, man, this is crazy. This guy's nuts. And then I try to imagine one day, you know, people are out milling around, maybe someone's telling a joke about Noah, and all of a sudden something hit him on the forehead. Oh, it's crazy, birds. I'm telling you, we we gotta do something about the birds. And another guy went, yeah, what? and all of a sudden, it's raining. I got a feeling the joke's all stopped. I got a feeling there were a lot of people going, whoa, 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 that guy's been talking about this for 150 years. My great, great, great grandpa told me about it. My grandpa, oh, my, and maybe now it's just coming down. And the Bible says that God shut the door to that ark. I imagine a lot of people went running to Noah. Noah! 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 But the door was shut. And the Bible says, Jesus said, That's the way it's going to be when I come back. People will make fun of you, they'll mock you. They'll say all kinds of crazy things about you, Christian. Oh, yeah, Jesus is coming back, right? Yeah, sure. Look, he didn't come back yesterday. I get it. But, folks, don't let that lull you into the fact that he's not coming back because he is. And God says your part in this promise is you have to be ready for it. And how you get ready for it is you invite Jesus Christ into your life. You invite Jesus in and he cleanses you of your sin and he restores your relationship with God. And at that moment, you know what kind of happens? You get a seat on the ark. You're now spared from the wrath that's going to come. And last night I want you to know there were a whole lot of people gave their life to Jesus Christ last night. They got ready. And maybe you're here today. You've looked at these promises, and I don't know how you ended up here, but you're here. And one of the things we know about God is that he's faithful. He keeps his promises. He doesn't lie. And he told us he's coming back. I don't know when. I don't know when. I know he's coming though. And your part and my part is simply, we've got to be ready. And I'm just going to ask you to bow your heads for just a moment. And maybe you're here and you're going, you know what? I, I know why I'm here now. I've never given my life to Jesus Christ. I'm not ready. And you want to get ready. Well, let me tell you how you get ready. Let me tell you how you make sure you're on the boat, so to speak. And that's just simply invite Jesus Christ into your life. And this is what I want you to do, I'm just gonna pray a prayer and while your heads are bowed, you pray this prayer, you, but you mean it, you gotta mean it. Just say, dear Jesus, come into my life right now. I give my life to you. I surrender my life to you. Come in and cleanse me of my sin. I want to have a relationship with you, God. I believe you're coming someday, and I want to be ready. Now, if you prayed that prayer, keep your heads bowed. If you prayed that prayer, look. This is all I want you to do. Just look up at me, or let me see your hand, or yeah, yeah, I see. Just, just look up at me, or, or let me see your hand, or whatever. Anybody else? Just want to make sure I see everybody. I want to pray for you.